0: Back, Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, as always, myself, Alex Connor. And this week, I'm in conversation with another very talented guest. His name is Jason Tremblay. Some of you may have heard of him. He is part of and the co-founder and president of the Strength Guys. Now, we had a very interesting conversation. We talked more about the mechanistic approaches to strength, To programming, some relationships between strength and hypertrophy, building muscle and so forth. And lots of other little things in between. Uh, It was a very um, thought-provoking conversation and it was very insightful, especially on my end as well. Jason's very talented, he's very uh, intuitive and he's very pragmatic in his approaches. So a little bit more about Jason and some of his current accolades and his history. So he's got a Bachelor of Physical Education. He's currently in progress in year four at Mount Royal University. And uh, he has done mentorship under Brett Bartholomew. He's trained in video analysis by Canadian Sport Institute, director of biomechanics and video analysis pro-steritude. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I do apologize. Presenter at the 2015 EPIC Fitness Summit in the UK and the Online Fitness Summit and 2014 Elite Fitness Mentoring. His athlete achievements is number one in the IPF World Champion, number two IPF and World Silver Medalists. Second in the IPF World Top 6 Finishes, three IPF Collegiate World Championships, two Asian Junior Powerlifting Champions, one North American powerlifting champion, six USA powerlifting national championships, two Canadian national championships, one British national championship, one USA collegiate national champion, two Arnold Classic champions, and third place finish in Daytona 500. Um, there, are some of which the athlete accolades he has coached to success amongst many others that are ever growing. And we touched base on a couple of the athletes that he works alongside within the strength guys, but also some of the athletes as well, and how he actually helps them achieve these amazing successes within his Coaching realms. He works closely with Ben Esgrove as well as part of the collective and innovative co coaching service provided exclusively by the Strength Guys. And as I mentioned before, he is the president and co founder of the Strength Guys Incorporated. So if you are not aware of the Strength Guys and you want to get stronger and you want to get bigger, they are definitely one of the resources to check out. They are very, very talented multitude of individuals coaches athletes etc that work collectively to help people produce some of the best performance and results on the planet and i do not say that likely so please head over and check them out however in this conversation today listen closely as always there's lots of golden nuggets there's lots of questions for beginners and also advanced athletes and coaches perhaps some things that you can improve within your programming perhaps some questions that you face that you can't quite overcome or you're not sure how to navigate around them and jason helps shed a lot of light on those topics here in this conversation today now before we dive in with jason just one quick thing uh as i've mentioned in a couple of the other podcasts and as of late for those who are following along on social media closely my fearless training united academy is due to launch this week what is it? Once again, is the unparalleled platform where we're providing with myself and other peers and practitioners education to give back to people like yourself, coaches, athletes alike, or even just anyone who is wanting to improve the way that they look, the way that they feel, their body composition from, again, an evidence-based approach, but also with a lot of anecdotal, real-life, hands-on experience. Okay, so we're communicating information from what we know from reliable literature in the field, things that actually work from years of experience with working with real people, real clients to get real tangible results. So you're gonna be able to go in, you have your own login, you'll be able to move through all the categories. You have to go through them sequentially. There is an order of importance and it will teach you what are the most important factors that contribute to changing your body composition, achieving the physique goals that you want and doing it in a way, as always, that's sustainable, flexible, and enjoyable. And that is gonna be an ever-growing library. You'll have your lifting techniques in there and along with tutorials videos and interactives there'll be mini courses with specific peers and practitioners on given subjects and it will just be ever evolving and ever growing so if you want to check that out go over to my website now. The links are in the description to wherever you're watching below. That's fearlesstrainingunited.com and make sure that you get in that academy and start learning and improving your knowledge so you can actually achieve the results that you want. And this is all the information that I wish that someone would have provided me when I started lifting and I would have saved a ton of time, money, effort, and frustration, and now, this is my way of paying it forward and giving back and communicating the best information across platforms in the most efficient way possible. Anyway, I digress. Onto the conversation with Jason Tremblay. Jason, welcome to the Fearless Training Raw Knowledge Podcast, my friend. Thank you for your time. And uh, how is everything at your end of the world?
1: Uh, things are good. It's getting chilly here in Canada. Um, <laughs> Means this hockey season. Uh, been busy as last week we had the USAPL uh, Raw Powerlifting Nationals. Um, the Strength Guys had a team of 16 competing, uh, and I was down there to assist with coaching all of those lifters on game day, uh, which was a lot of fun. It was equally tiring as well. Um, but things are good, and I appreciate you uh, having me on as well.
0: Absolutely, my pleasure. And um, before we we dig into that uh, last weekend, because I think it'd be great to derive some of the experiences, some of the learnings, share some of the successes as well. Um, give us a bit of a background for those of might be listening who are not aware of who you are, what you do, why you do it, etc.
1: Sure. So uh, I'm a co-founder of the Strength Guys. Uh, the Strength Guys, is, we've swelled in size over the years. Uh, We've now got 18 people uh, working in our group, including nine coaches. Uh, When my initial passion as an athlete was for natural bodybuilding. And um, over time, that passion morphed into, I want to see how strong I could get. And so I fell into powerlifting and I was fascinated by uh the program design aspects of it and, uh, noticing how different programs that i ran myself uh, led to different results on my lips um, when i started programming for powerlifting i thought how cool would it be to uh, coach a provincial champion here in alberta uh, i didn't really have big aspirations and um, We had a few champion level powerlifters come on during our our early years as a company uh, to where now I'm coaching uh, powerlifting at the international level. Um, I've now coached uh, three world champion powerlifters. Um, I guess the tally is like 10 US national champions now and uh, three Canadian national champions and Asian champions and North American champions. Uh, we've been we've been doing really good in the last few years, um, so basically I, I just took uh, an interest in strength training myself when I was when I was a young one when I was twenty twenty one um, started working with people like Taylor Atwood and uh, we kind of grew together grew into the sport of powerlifting um, learned to become a professional coach along the way and uh really proud of how far our team's come now so that's a little bit about my story and um, how i got to where i am
0: sure and lots to dig into as well which i'm i'm sure we will uncover in this chat first of all before we do i think it's important to give some context and it might sound a bit simple but i think uh, if you can jason can you define strength um from a sort of more of a functional perspective as well and how it differs from uh, how it does differ from hypertrophy so more your bodybuilding and perhaps just some you know key sort of elements to understand for the listeners because i think people don't quite understand strength or the mechanisms of it and sometimes people think that you know they are very much the same even though there is a relationship between strength and size there are some sort of differences perhaps could you give some context Um, around you know what really is strength and and how does it work and how do we progress and how do we become stronger
1: Yeah, so there's many different kinds of strength Um, the kind of strength that I predominantly coach is maximum strength for powerlifting Um, and what we're looking at is the maximum amount of force that uh, a muscle can produce and i think where a lot of confusion sets in is uh when you look at like the history of powerlifting training and i know this documentary is on netflix now uh with the west side barbell uh conjugate method and what have you yeah concepts such as like should i train fast you know as a powerlifter and what have you but really what we're looking at in powerlifting is we're training incredibly Uh, slow lifts in comparison to the rest of the force velocity spectrum uh, Where if you have power lifting on the far end of the spectrum as a slow maximal strength sport uh, I would have sprinting on the other end of the spectrum as a fast sport uh, where the goal is not to produce uh, a maximum uh, strength output it's to produce a maximum power output so faster contractions moving through space in a quick amount of time um, and so if I had to boil down strength, it's producing the maximum amount of force. And hopefully I can, uh, through explaining that, uh, give listeners the sense of what the force velocity curve is, because that's the basic understanding of of what strength is, is you have to know that relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Could you then go into extrapolating that a little bit more for the listeners and perhaps make it? i guess when you're working with athletes not everyone needs to become a rocket scientist but it is important to define you know what we're doing and why we're doing it can give the athlete a lot more purpose within their training within their programming prescription you know hey you know i want you to do this block i want you to use these lifts this tempo this reps this sets how do you generally when you're and i know it will differ from client to client how do you go about explaining that and communicating that to a client so they understand okay well this is why i'm doing this obviously they want to get stronger but what is the reasoning behind it and perhaps without being too long-winded a question but um where would you start with someone for example do you start by running an accumulation phase intensification peaking um what are your strategies and, and how would you generally approach that
1: right so um within the sport of powerlifting. Uh, and if you want to talk about any other sports, just bring them up. But within the sport of powerlifting, it's really nice because you have the ability to do the exact sport um, that you do on the platform in your training. So our starting point is that we're going to uh, coach heavily the technique of squat, bench press, and deadlift workouts. Um, Because the order in competition is squat, bench press, and deadlift, Uh, When you think about what a lifter has to be conditioned for in competition, they have to be conditioned to perform uh, three maximal attempts on squat and then three maximal attempts on bench or near maximal after and then three maximal or near maximal attempts on deadlift after that. So the very foundation of our training is that we are going to do Uh, squat, bench, press, and deadlift days when you're powerlifting. Um, That doesn't mean that all days are squat, bench, press, and deadlift, but at least one day in the week is so that you're practicing that. Uh, From there, we've made the decision to take away uh, most of the uh, derivatives of the competition lifts. So this means that we are doing away with – as examples like different variations of back squatting, uh, different variations or or inclines of of bench pressing. And if you're a sumo deadlifter, uh, we're not going to spend half of our training time training the conventional deadlift. So we're going to isolate you down to exactly what the skill is that you're doing in competition. And then from there, uh, we're going to, Coach you technically so that um, any improvements that we can make through the process of cueing uh, and improving intramuscular coordination, uh, motor learning with the athlete, we're going to go and do those things. Mm-hmm. And also, if the athlete has any issues with executing uh, to the meet standards that they'll be held by the referees of a powerlifting competition, uh, we'll hold them to that standard as well. Which means that. Um, every squat and training has got to be to depth, every bench set has to start with uh, fully locked elbows, you've got to pause on the chest, no touch and go, feet have to be on the floor, butt has to be on the bench, and athletes have to finish their deadlifts. Um, So that's the very basic foundation of how we organize a powerlifting Mm workup now from there if we're looking at building that out into what a week looks like we use daily undulating periodization because it's been proven to be most effective Uh, if another method of training comes around which is proven to be more effective than our model uh, we'll adapt that instead of doing what we're currently doing but we use a dep format uh, which typically entails if i have a lifter Training squat, bench, and deadlift twice per week. Um, Day one is going to be a little bit higher reps and a little bit lower intensity. So, higher volume, lower intensity. And then the end of the week, day two or day three or whatever it will be, is going to be a little bit lower reps and a little bit higher intensity. So, that's the basic structure. Uh, Basically, it's a linear periodization structure, but within a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the structure that we follow for pretty much all of our training. Um, And then from there, we wanna answer some key questions, which are how much of a training dose does our client need in order to uh, improve their strength levels? And so by prescribing uh, percentages of one rep maximum, and by controlling the athlete's training one rep maximum, uh, we are able to know, ahead of time, uh, roughly the amount of training volume that our athletes will be doing. And we're also able to calculate out their, um, their relative intensity, so th- about the average intensity at which they're achieving this training volume for a week. And we keep a historical record on uh, athlete training volume, intensity, and their performance results. And we use that to drive our decision-making. So that's a very like basic from why we do just squat, bench, press, deadlift, all the way up to what's driving our decision-making on a macro level uh, kind of walkthrough of our powerlifting system.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So, again, starting off a large emphasis on specificity, skill acquisition, and then building up uh, using DUP and again daily undulating periodization let's actually just touch base on that because i know um this is a big area of confusion for a lot of people who want to build strength also size i'm sure you've come across it and we've got obviously different periodization models and and usually you know the question is what is best and perhaps uh, a better question is not what is best but what is appropriate for me at the time you know looking at adherence looking at the goals etc um do you think that? For example using daily undulating periodization is more specific to just the powerlifters obviously it seems to be most advantageous is this something that you found to be true with i don't know if you coach any bodybuilders but obviously you you train as a bodybuilder yourself uh, somewhat what would you say about that in terms of do you think there's a massive correlation there or do you think there's a lot more obviously flexibility with bodybuilding not being as sport
1: specific as you said uh to power of thing right so i think the um underlying question in that is what is most influential to progress mm-hmm. and what we've seen for strength and for muscle gain is uh volume is very, very influential with progress. And so I don't think that the difference between following a linear periodized model and a uh, daily undulating periodized model uh, is necessarily where a bodybuilder is going to find the secret to greater gains or a power lifter is. Um, I think it's in the training dose that both of those athletes are doing. So I do still work with uh, a few bodybuilders, and uh, one of them is amongst the top in the WMBF. His name's Gary Amlinger, um, and Gary's training, well, it's very, very different from the squat, bench press, deadlift workouts that we do with powerlifters. It follows the same methods of uh, manipulating his training volumes, and the same methods of how many times per week does Gary need to train his back uh, in order to continue growing his back, Uh, just like we would ask the question of how many times per week does Taylor Atwood need to train his bench press in order to continue growing his bench press. Um, So we use the same decision-making process to uh, arrive at very different forms of answers for uh, both sports but i think the main thing is training dose not periodization type um so yeah mm-hmm. yeah so a larger emphasis on volume and
0: frequency you know in the bodybuilding world obviously volume generally as we know is king for building thighs or from what we know again from the literature and again, looking at how is more sport specific, it's more skill based. Um, I'd like to move into uh, two points. Um, now Jason, one of them is, and I think again, super popular in terms of where people usually get stuck and this is plateaus so for example beginner lifters you know generally we can throw something at a wall it will stick and then we have to periodize you know we have to plan we have to organize we have to become more strategic Uh, and then at some point depending on our knowledge or our coaches or you know what guidance we have or what knowledge we you know are exposed to we can plateau and i know this has definitely been for me in the past and it's always something that i'm I'm becoming more aware and intelligent of and how to progress so Maybe, can you give us some real life anecdotal examples of powerlifters? And I'd love, again, for the bodybuilding community, if you could, with um, some of the, you know, athletes that you've just mentioned there, um, talk about strategies that you implement when your athletes plateau and what are the main causes and what are usually the main remedies or, again, systems that you implement to be able to continue to progress, right? Because this is such a big question, like, how do you continue to progress?
1: Um, So, this is where having our historical records of data is very beneficial for us. Um, We actually have a a pre-made program uh, on my strength book called Shifting the Curve, which kind of encapsulates all of our thoughts on this, but if an athlete is no longer able to add weight to um, the barbell or dumbbells or whatever the, the lift is, and they're not changing the number of lifts that they're doing so the sets or reps uh, there's no overload you're just training at the same volume and using the same weight and you're kind of going nowhere mm-hmm. so uh what we do is if strength isn't going up from uh, macro cycle to macro cycle uh, we will make a controlled increase in what's called the the peak volume on a lift so uh, an example of this would be uh, Taylor Atwood when uh, we brought Ben Esgro on board and, and into the consultation with Taylor. Uh, his peak volume for 2016 Raw Nationals in Florida on squat was, uh, I want to say, is like 38,000 pounds per week. And Taylor's one at maximum was 265 kilos. Uh, We bumped Taylor up to 42,500 pounds peak volume in preparation for the Arnold Classic, which was five months later. And he went out and he squatted 282.5 kilos. So we could say that from that training intervention, and there's other things, Taylor was adapting to the model and what have you. But from that training intervention of uh, increasing Taylor's uh, volume by a controlled amount, which is progressive overload, uh, Taylor's squat got better. And if we fast forward to uh, this, I guess two weeks ago when we assessed Taylor uh, leading into Raw Nationals, uh, Taylor squatted 267.5 kilos for five reps, and his peak volume now is 52,000 pounds in a week. So we've systematically increased his volume over the course of many years. And that progressive overload has also correlated with um, performance improvement now on the bodybuilding side of things, it's a really interesting one, and we haven't had the the chance to talk about it a lot uh We acknowledge that gary amlinger is uh he's an anomaly he's he's a freak uh just like Taylor is but um when Ben and I helped him on the training side of things prepare for uh, his pro debut and Cliff Wilson was doing the diet and Gary was absolutely peeled. Like he looked, he was in immaculate condition on stage. Um, Ben and I got experimental with this training and we're like traditional body, bodybuilding split now seems to be like, I'm going to train my arms on, you know, Friday and, and chest on Tuesday, what have you like a body part a day. And we're like, we're not gonna do that. Gary needs uh, back and shoulder development in order to become a world champion, which is his goal. Mm -hmm. And so we're gonna get him on a three day on, uh, one day off training split. And on day one, what we did was we trained uh, back, uh, we trained some shoulders, and we also trained his abs on day one and obliques. On day two, We did chest, and we did all the leg muscles that you could do. And then on day three, we went back to, we're going to do back, shoulders, and arms. And then he's going to rest one day, and we're going to get back to it the next week. So he's training six times a week. Mm -hmm. And Ben and I took his average sets per day from 32 starting to up to 50, Uh, per day and he's training six times a week so Gary worked up during the course of his prep up to about four and a half hour workouts six times per week and what happened from that was very interesting uh, because not only did Gary improve his strength uh, by the time he was four weeks out from competition where he was already very lean Gary actually hit personal bests on all of his lifts Absolutely. So regardless of body weight and Gary had lost almost a hundred pounds from his off season weight to where he was competing at that stage in time. And so we found that to be a really remarkable response from uh, someone who's in a a very extreme calorie deficit, uh, who's very lean and doesn't have a lot of energy to to draw from in order to train. Um, To manipulate his volume like that and see not only the amount of muscle mass that he retained, but the amount of strength that he gained. Uh, we found that to be very interesting and very telling. Yeah. So,
0: what I'm getting out of that is Jason, what can be derived is the law of more. And again, we can see the relationship between the two examples um, of increasing work capacity via mainly what, what I can ascertain volume um, to increase. If you like, I, I use an example with my clients where I say, right now you have a body mass of X, and your body mass is capable of lifting this. But right now you might have, say, 500 brake horsepower. Brake horsepower being in your muscle mass, but you are only able to use 300 brake horsepower because you haven't learned the skill, you've not adapted all the mechanisms, etc. And then by learning again the skill acquisition, increasing the volume over time, you first of all be able to get access to that horsepower so then it's like okay you take a powerlifter say who's in a weight category and they for example let's use yuri right because i'm familiar with yuri um he can beats in about 83 kilograms is that right from memory yeah yep. cool so and he you look at yuri and you're like oh this guy looks like a bodybuilder right but then yeah. we see powerlifters who are like quite you know let's say a bit fluffy they're a lot more chunky um and then i think people the stereotypes oh all, all power lifters are a bit high body fat well, it's like well, no <laughs> it depends on what k- weight category they're in and the realization i had a while back is that well okay if yuri's in this weight category where he's at now he wants he, his muscle mass to strength ratio is like max the hell out right um because he's using all of his horsepower he's recruiting for his body weight he's as lean, like he's got as much muscle mass as he can be without it being detrimental um, to the point where he's maximizing his horsepower and he's recruiting more. So I guess to kind of derive the principle out of it, it's at some point if you want to get stronger, you have to get bigger, and vice versa. And there's that there's that kind of um, crossover. I think if you can, Jason, can you maybe talk a little bit more about the relationship between strength and size? and how they interrelate and some of the benefits and drawbacks for powerlifters and bodybuilders because I know that there's a lot of controversy um, in the industry with we have a saying down at hold your own where Yuri comes out in training uh, we say you know strong looks strong right and most people obviously they're they're powerlifters they're bodybuilders you know we're squat bench and dead pro um, but obviously some of us being now we call this power building right we that we are hybrids we use both, but sometimes, especially myself, we can get caught up in perhaps, hang on a minute, am I a powerlifter or am I a bodybuilder? Because now I'm accumulating so much fatigue that I'm sacrificing volume. Or sometimes I'm doing so much volume or garbage volume that perhaps I could be using more intensity. Um, Could you talk us through some of the parameters and your experiences with that?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically we're using progressive overload as a solution to the plateau to uh, conclusively answer the last question. Mm -hmm. And um, just to reiterate that if if you can't lift more weight uh, in an exercise, we're just addressing the other part of the volume equation, which is sets and reps, and we're increasing that so that we're still getting an overload response. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, we found that to be enough in order to drive progress. So it's actually, it's a pretty simple answer on -hmm. how to get out of that plateau, Within, uh, I think an organized training system, which is what we have. Yeah, just
0: um, just sorry, just quickly as well, then to, to kind of put a full stop. At, well, to a degree, because there's always more research to be done. Um, I know that some people will be going. Well, how do I keep adding volume, etc.? What if you know someone, for example, you just mentioned your bodybuilding athlete. You know, he's he's doing long workouts. You know, that there, there has to you have to get that in somewhere. What what happens when you run out of, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, what happens when you run out of time, days, you know, sets? Do you just, how do you keep pushing that and where's the limit?
1: Um, so I think we've ran into this with a few athletes where there's simply the limit of lifestyle. Um, and then it's a matter of, well, can you make some sacrifices so that we can continue training and making the improvement? Or is is this all that we've got? And for a powerlifter, for a weight class athlete, the easy solution is to go up to the next weight class when you tapped out, uh, because then you're just you're gaining muscle mass, you're gaining mass in general. You don't have to train so hard in order to put some more pounds on your lips. Uh, it's just going to happen as a process of gaining weight. Uh, mm. So that's at the point where we would say, hey, can we make some scheduling modifications? Uh, and if not, would you like to go up to the next weight class? Uh, but with that said, we've reached that limit with very few athletes. Um, and generally, like, I can't foresee reaching that limit with someone who is not at a very, very high level in their sport, where progress is going to be uh, slower if you're staying the same body weight anyways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for a bodybuilder, I think there's, given that you can train more, you can even go to two, two times per day training, right? Like there are options there. Uh, you can train every day of the week. Um, my colleague Ben Esgro is trained 14 times in a week uh, while he was dieting for a show. Wow. Um, it sounds crazy to people, but when you're used to doing an extreme amount of workload six days per week seventh day of the week isn't that much right like it's all a matter of what you're adapted to
0: correct um, adaptation.
1: and i i think one of the most important things in learning to coach and develop uh top end competitors is knowing how to push athletes and i think these things where they sound scary and they are to the average person um we're not training an average person now right like mm-hmm. Uh, for me and for, for our team, it's, it's not weird to have a three or three and a half hour SPD day squat bench deadlift, um, just like it isn't weird when I worked with the Calgary Flames fast off season for professional hockey players to be training for three to three and a half hours in a, in a weekday, right? Like uh, it's a different level of athlete that we're training. Um, So I just wanted to address that because I think a lot of people place like limitations on it based on their own experiences and not what the athlete actually needs. And that's been a big transformation point for our coaching as well. Uh, It's just realizing that athletes need to be pushed and not being afraid to do that. Now, as far as the difference between uh, strength and muscle size, um, strength is obviously it's a physical skill. And muscle size is not, uh, muscle size is just the, uh, cross-sectional area of the muscle fibers, uh, in a given muscle. And, uh, the relationship there is that when you have more muscle fibers, uh, in a muscle, it's going to be more conducive, of producing more, uh, more force, right? So, um, if Taylor has, I don't know, let's say, uh, a hundred thousand muscle fibers in his quads, and I have fifty thousand. Taylor's quads are likely to be stronger than mine, right? Just by virtue of having more fibers. Now, uh, when you train for hypertrophy, you don't make you don't make more fibers often. That's called hyperplasia. You just make the fibers that you have bigger. So you're improving the uh, cross-sectional area of them. And uh, it's an observation that bigger muscles. Uh, are are stronger muscles so um and i would encourage readers to to read up on that uh through greg knuckles's blog on the topic maybe we could put it in the notes um, because it's really something that you have to have a background primer on in order to get into the full understanding of it
0: yeah no that would be good i think um the guys at mass are doing a great job you know with uh, the meta-analysis something i'm obviously subscribed to and and greg does again a grand job of really going in with his articles into great depth as well but then also as well kind of deriving some simplicity out of it too um but it is it's an interesting talk of conversation and i think it comes down to again context and education and understanding those basic physiological you know principles and again for most people don't have to be a rocket scientist but at some point if you want to progress your training you need to upskill um, as you rightly just said there Jason about you know athletes sometimes we forget you know people are here and they're trying to jump from you know down the bottom to up high where really that's not how it works obviously we've got people you've mentioned you know um, who are more genetically gifted and that's all well and good, and we've got to acknowledge that. But it's like, okay, if, if we want to get somewhere at the end of the day, we've got to work through it. We've got to have a plan. We've got to have a strategy, and we've got to progress out of that as well. Um, so to springboard into to my next questions, um, I'd like to talk about some more real life examples of, of when you're working with athletes. Perhaps we can go to last weekend and and talk about some of the successes you had there. Um, you know, when it's game day, etc. What are some of the again, the protocols that you're putting in place to ensure that your athletes are going to be able to perform maximally. And perhaps it's not just talking about the physical, because I know, you know, when we're looking at lifting large amount of weights, a lot of it's a mental game as well. Could you talk us through, like, how yourself at The Strength Guys approach that? Obviously, if you're there physically, but then also perhaps for your athletes, well, you can't be everywhere at once if you're online. What's the process, the check-in procedure, et cetera?
1: Yeah, so I think from a psychological standpoint, we realize that, uh, so to back up even further, there needs to be some sort of assessment process uh, before a powerlifting meet happens so that the competitor has a strategy going into the powerlifting meet uh because at the start of the meet you have to write in your your opening attempts for each lift so at the very at the very fundamental level i need to know a weight at which our competitors can reliably do that's not so close to their one rep maximum that they're going to expend energy possibly fail in the competition Uh, or that they're Going to have no room to increase weight for their second or third attempt. We want the opener to be like a a sound, makeable lift. Um, And then the second attempt is kind of the bridge attempt. We want it to be heavier, but we still want it to be an incredibly reliable lift. And we want it to be just heavy enough that the second attempt is going to give us insight on what the athlete's top end strength is for that lift on the third attempt. And the third attempt is obviously where we're gonna go as close to the maximum as we can uh, without putting so much weight on the bar that the athlete happens to fail. So uh, the two predominant ways of assessing an athlete are uh, rep max tests, These this in our eyes as well. Um, Velocity-based training isn't really accessible enough yet for it to be a reliable choice. But for someone like Yuri, he actually has a VBT unit, so we can use it. Uh, same with Taylor and same with two other clients that I have. But that's out of a population of, you know, 200 athletes. So it's, it's not a very common thing yet. Um, so really what you have is you can work up to heavy singles in training, like an RP9. I want you to do an RP9 single. Work up to that. Or you could do a rep max test at like 90% of your one rep max or 92.5% of your one rep max. The rough percentages that you'd end up opening around. And from a confidence perspective, if a lifter works up to uh, an RP9 single and they miss, there goes your confidence, right? Because you're like one or two weeks away from the competition. You've just missed a heavy lift, which you thought you could make. Now you're going to be a mess. I think using that approach to plan out attempts would be, I'm going to see what the lifter can do as a top end, and then I'm going to calculate what the opener should be based on what I think their top end is. And what that approach misses out on is that the situation of training in the gym uh, is very different than the situation of lifting on the platform. And so... We actually planned the inverse way. Uh, we decide first what a safe and reliable opener is for the athlete. And then in the following week, we practice their second attempts. And we actually just express top-end strength as a range on our meet strategies for game day, which means that uh, we're going to go in. And our lifters have practiced two out of every three lifts that they'll do in training, which breeds confidence because you know that you've done your opener for at least two to three reps. Mm -hmm. You know that you've done your second attempt in squat bench deadlift format. All you have to do is the third attempt. And we're going to write in a third attempt that they're going to make. We're not going to try to ride the limit too hard. And so by by planning from the bottom up, using uh, AMRAP assessments as our guide, uh, we kind of I feel like we navigate around the area where lifters kind of lose a lot of confidence in their in their preparation uh, when they're using RPE. And uh, it's a very risky approach, I think. And I will say also that uh, RPE has been successful for many teams. but I would openly uh, challenge anyone uh, to make as many attempts as we do uh, at the top level in powerlifting. Um, I, I truly think our assessment model is, is the most effective there is so far. So uh, those are, I guess that's an insight into our tactical planning, how that carries over into the program, and also how that carries over into uh, athlete psychology as well. Yeah, no, that's good and, and well answered. And thank
0: you for explaining that process because I know a lot of people, well, especially obviously powerlifters or lifters who are thinking about getting into powerlifting or even people, you know, in a gym who are perhaps not ready to compete, but they want to test their 1RMs or, you know, they, they want to know how, how, how do you, you know, how do you peak? what is the process when you, you step on the platform? How do you plan your lifts? You know, it's a lot of these popular questions. And sticking with the theme of, you know, your approaches and and how you plan and prepare things, um, when you're working with your athletes, obviously you've evolved things, you've evolved, you know, the way you approach your spreadsheets, etc. I've had the luxury of having a look at, at some of what you do. I think some of the things you've shared, you're pretty open about what you do. Yuri has showed me what he's done. I'm quite a curious soul as well. Um, how have you, from from when you started uh, the strength guys or when you started coaching? How you have you evolved your programming? For example, are you using your own spreadsheets? Have you enrolled uh, systems or other out uh, third party sort of um, what do you call them now? I'm trying to think of the name like a, a tool if you like to be able to help you manage this and you know how many clients can you generally manage at one time? Um, because obviously, you know, you, you're coaching very high-level athletes. They do require attention. How what does that kind of look like? You know, in terms of a, I guess, a day-to-day basis, and, and again, all those little
1: intricacies. If you right. Know. So uh, about five years ago, when uh, Taylor Atwood and Clinton Lee, uh, who was then coaching at the time, uh, qualified for what would be my first World Championship as a coach. Um, I really wanted the best for them from their performance, and I had the idea to create our own uh, athlete management system, and this is the system that we now use, um, which uh, as we write training programs, it automatically tracks and organizes all of the athletes' data. It allows us to plan, it allows us to strategize, um, and it's built specifically by us. I had never seen anything like it before we built it, uh, so I'm proud to say that it's something that's uh, unique to the strength guys, um, which I think is, is hard to find, because uh, in weightlifting and in powerlifting and bodybuilding, we always hear the same that there's, there's nothing new in it, but I disagree. I think there's always room to uh, innovate and to improve. And I think that the Athlete Management System is our software solution uh, to that. So uh, I've redesigned our Athlete Management System now uh, five times. We're working on our sixth Athlete Management System, uh, which will be released in the winter. And it has been built specifically to streamline our operations as much as possible. Um, As I've learned more about programming over time, I got away from the idea that athletes need distinctive four-week programs that are completely different from the next four weeks of training that they'll do and the next four weeks after that. Our training is like a continuous process that goes on throughout the year, and the changes are a lot less uh severe significant than uh, I think the typical like strength and conditioning block periodization approach where it's completely different from month to month to month Um, and so our our system is designed like that and uh, we write training out on a weekly basis Uh, currently I have just under 40 athletes who I coach uh, in addition to social media team duties administrative duties uh, student my own training and uh, having a life outside of all this. And uh, I think one of the big questions that we're looking at, uh, because I'm scheduled to graduate this December with my degree in physical education, uh, is innovating the work process for the strength guys. And as far as how many athletes could be taken on, uh, that's a challenge that we're, we're going to look at from an organization perspective of how much can we responsibly plan. Uh, Because the other part of this is, if you know, it's fine and dandy to say, I'm gonna focus in on five elite athletes and nobody else, but uh, coaches have to earn a living doing what they're doing. And so uh, that's a challenge, which when I find the answer out, <laughs> I will happily share it. Um, but as of now, we're, we're still brainstorming kind of the next work processes that we'll adopt here at the Strength Guys. So,
0: yeah, not sure. I think it is a challenge that most coaches, especially when you get into the online space and you become popular and you start expanding, um, you're always looking. And I like what you said. I agree 100%. I think there is always room for improvement and innovation. I think from looking at some of the, and again, what we, you know, what i mentioned to you before the podcast, um on my email is raising the industry standard because i think there's a disparity between people that are working at up here and then there's sort of like a big gap um, between the bottom and some some of it surprises me because it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to get to a standard it takes a lot of effort to get to a great standard but really to have some sort of efficacy in your training um i know there's lots of tools out there there's lots of apps now i don't really like them um, i'm not a um, like someone who's been phenomenal with like Excel or or using spreadsheets, but I've even managed with help and asking the right people and surrounding myself with the right sort of um, skill set. People with skill set be able to develop a good system. And it's always something on my mind as well, Jason. It's fascinating. I like how you're um, looking and spending a lot of time in that because it makes it more user friendly. Like you said, it's for the athlete to give them a better experience where they can log in it can be even something as simple as the aesthetics and the functionality of a programming and the way it looks. And it's, oh, that's a lot easier to interpret. Oh, I'm actually doing this lift, this this amount of percentage today and this, that, and oh, cool. And oh, wow, I put that in and it like had a green tick and, and whatnot. So I'm I'm glad that you're someone who's on the forefront and focusing at that. And I must say from what I've seen, again, from Yuri and some of the stuff you shared, it does look very clean cut. And going back to one of the first things, I just want to highlight data. Um, Is key. I'm someone who works with a lot of more like, I guess you could call it, I don't like the term general population, but people who are interested in more strength and conditioning, body composition, etc. And I always stress the importance. People ask, oh, you know, Alex, why, why are we tracking these basic, you know, um, measurables? And I say, well, you know, if, if we can look back and we've got, say, six and 12 months and two years of data, we can look back and we can see, wow, well, this is what you were doing here and this is what you were lifting and this was the volume and this is how many days we were training and this is what we were eating and this is what we were weighing and some people go. Oh, it sounds a lot, but even after you know a twelve-week period, looking back on that and being able to extrapolate, you know, inferences and data, and going, "Well, here, look at the trends," because it's not about week to week. It gives us an insight to, as you said, be able to look at the athlete and more appropriately plan for the future and find what works and um, and, and what doesn't in a functional perspective. And I think um, looking at and i don't know if it's going to be are you familiar with a a system called recomposer i'm not no so they're one of the the leading um sort of uh, programs uh, if you like or or um companies uh, within australia uh, you it's a subscription based and they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars it's quite good you can uh, purchase it for your clients and you know it sort of spits out and does all these percentages and whatnot but again it's one of those things where I think if you want to make it bespoke to what you do and having your logos and whatnot on it, you're all, you've kind of got to do it yourself, um, I think. Um, with your coaching, Jason, what are some of the, the things from from starting coaching to where you are now, what are some of your biggest, if you could derive some key learnings? Um, say let me put it like this if you could go back and speak to yourself when you started coaching what are the things that you would tell yourself if you had just one to two minutes to say hey look here's what I would do differently here's what I would do better
1: yeah um, so I think the fundamental uh, thing is to go through university uh, for this because someone who hasn't is going to uh, lack educational background in order to get them out of a lot of the kind of loopholes and roadblocks that trying to figure it out purely off the experience will get you into. Um, so what I mean by that is obviously understanding force velocity curve, length tension curve, uh, motor patterns, understanding the process of biomechanical analysis. Uh, all of these are the fundamentals of coaching and if you apply them uh, your coaching operation will separate from what's on the market right now because that's essentially what the strength guys is that's what we've done Um, i'd say the next thing is to look around at who's winning and to do what they're doing Uh, who's winning regularly that is Um, because when i reached a point where i was stuck and I needed answers for coaching powerlifters. I looked around and I saw that two coaches were winning all the time. Uh, one was Ben Asgro and one was Matt Gary and I'm very proud to work with them both. Matt Gary isn't a member of our group but we collaborate together on projects and Ben Asgro now works with our group. And through the process of getting mentors who time and time again have, approved, have shown uh how effective they can be uh it's lifted the entire potential of our group and i think that's been the most beneficial thing uh is going to the true experts and i think they're harder to find but when you find them and when they win reliably uh and when they seem like ethical people that's when you know and uh to go forward with that um so for any any coaches i i recommend really get educated uh get educated formally in university uh get educated from the the best the best in your field and then do it yourself as well uh get educated experientially um and i think that solves so many of the problems that uh young coaches may have and that uh, i had coming up as well
0: yeah no great, great information jason i think um Again, it's all about those basics and building the pillars and the foundations and then um, obviously combining that with you know, hands on experience. But vitally as well, finding peers, mentors, people who are leading by example and they're also authentic. And um, to talk a little bit more about what you're doing now, what does your journey look like with your own training? Uh, give us an insight to your main goals at the minute and how you're approaching that and again, perhaps you know, importantly, uh, something that i like to focus in on is lifestyle. When you touched base on that earlier, you said, you know, um, I've got to manage X amount of clients, you know, where's the threshold there, but also, you know, have a lifestyle, have your own training, which I think is important because I, I know I see a lot of coaches who, Sometimes it's not the in which kills a coach or a business, it's the growth because they're not able to handle or tolerate and they're too busy trying to take on everyone and please everything and they end up nowhere. So can you talk us through like how you manage your schedule, what your training looks like, what your focuses and goals are and, and how you help achieve that?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I've tried to design my service as much like, uh, the service you would receive if if you and I were to go to a high-level uh, restaurant where we wouldn't have to put our hand up and, and tell the waiter that we wanted our food, right? The waiter would come to us, say, what do you need? How can we help you bring the food when it's ready? Um, I try to handle everything that I could possibly handle on my end so that all my clients have to do is train uh, and communicate to me. So things like, um, When a client needs a program, I schedule that in. Uh, As far as my training, I try to make it four days a week. Um, I recently just finished an internship with the Calgary Flames NHL team. And I I think one of the really interesting things being an intern uh, is that there's really no credibility to coach someone else's program until you've done that program yourself. Uh, So I actually did the Calgary Flames uh, summer training program. All summer, uh, and now I'm getting back into powerlifting uh, because there's a lot more uh, big powerlifting meets on the horizon uh, in the winter, and, and obviously with the World Championship again uh, next summer in Belarus. Uh, and there's some experiments that I want to carry out on myself before I carry them out on anyone else. Uh, so that's that's the big thing. Um, I always try to train with what I'm predominantly coaching. So in the summer, it was strength and conditioning because I had to help the Calgary Flames through their workouts. And now it's back to powerlifting uh, now that that experience is done. Uh, so we're, we're heading down that road again. Yeah. No, great. And perhaps then give us an
0: insight, and I know you mentioned this before, about you know other sports and programming for the sports. So let's look at, again, looking with the Flames, looking at something more sports-specific. Um, what does that look like um and what were you specifically doing were you in there designing the programming were you helping um run the program and taking the athletes through these strength and conditioning workouts or were you in there to kind of oversee and facilitate and perhaps enhance some of the you know protocols and the
1: strategies so um as far as the calgary flames internship i took that as an opportunity from very early on to show what i could do in Data science and in sports science. Um, and Ryan Van Aston, who's the head strength conditioning coach, and Alan Selby, who's the assistant strength conditioning coach, they designed the programs, they led everyone through the workouts. So, whenever I was there with the team, you're primarily just an assistant uh, to the coaches, and you're helping to get things set up, tear things down, uh, help an athlete out here or there whenever. Um, We had a big group and maybe Ryan and Alan wasn't directly overseeing uh, the training that an athlete would be doing. But uh, the main benefit that I brought to the Calgary Flames was in uh, innovation. I first off created the Sports Science Hub uh, in Microsoft Excel, which they're now using to store uh, all of the player testing data from the NHL team and the ahl team uh, which the minor leagues uh for this season and there and then i also created uh nhl draft scouting reports uh where they can enter in the nhl combine players physical fitness data uh and a report would automatically generate which the team used during the nhl draft in order to uh help with the assistance of uh determining which prospect to draft. Um, And then I also created uh, athlete reports to display testing results for the athletes. And I also designed their uh, season calendar, which the staff is using, which uh, has an algorithm, which Ryan Van Aston and I came up with, uh, which considers uh, Calgary's travel situation Uh, the days they have to recover in between a game and the opposing team's travel situation and the days that the opposing team had to uh, recover in between games in order to assign uh, game scores based on how ready we would be versus how ready the opponent would be um, so that the team could plan out their practicing and training schedule in the season around that. So, Basically, with the Calgary Flames, uh, when I was with the team, it was just a lot of observing and and, and just helping out behind the scenes. Uh, But whenever I had free moments uh, during their training or after their training, I was working like a madman to get all this done and to show what I could do at the NHL level. Um, And I got very, very, very good feedback from the team. And um, I think I, I learned from that that Having an entrepreneurial mindset of making a lot of value by spending very little is valuable in professional sports as well, right? Like it's not just something that entrepreneurs uh, can benefit their own company with but if you take that mindset and you attack a situation in professional sports with it uh, you can bring a ton of value to their organizations also
0: yeah, hundred percent. That's um, that's very impressive, Jason. What you've been able to do is that was that exclusive, um, to just the Calgary Flames? Those systems that you created. Yeah, that's great. Wow. yeah, it was.
1: Yeah,
0: I can imagine that would give them quite the insight and advantage. Um, and I think, like you said, even sometimes coming in with a different, um, a fresh head space or someone that's still, you know, within the realms of. You know the 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 crossovers or the the attributes if you like strength and conditioning you know there's a lot of sports specific skills you're just applying that to a different setting sometimes it takes someone with a fresh head to come in and go hmm guys data collection or have you tried this have you tried that with that they give you the opportunity to do that and it sounds like you're really really savvy with the tech side of stuff i know that um that would be a huge advantage
1: being so, able to create those spreadsheets. Yeah, like very much how uh, we look at peak volume as a landmark in powerlifting for squat bench press and deadlift. Um, we, NHL players aren't allowed to wear uh, what's called catapult units. Uh, basically, it tracks how far they skate during a game, uh, high, medium, and low force strides, uh, per your right and left leg uh, during a game. They can't wear these during the games because of the NHL collective bargaining agreement, but they can during practice and training camp. And so one of the things that we ended off on uh, at the end of my internship in a journal club was possibly looking at a way to, uh, A, landmark the training volumes, which we would need to hit before training camp and before Really, training camp so that the athletes were physically prepared, uh, so that they would be able to recover during the high frequency and high volume workloads they'd encounter during training camp and during the regular season. And then also to uh, landmark the amount of skating that they would do and the amount of intensity that they would do in training camp. Uh, so we went back and we looked at last year's training camp data and to strive to uh, hit or exceed that during the off-season skating program before training camp so that the players were prepared in order to uh, skate through an NHL training camp without it physically destroying them. So uh, right there is an example where the principles that we use in powerlifting uh, can also help to possibly solve a problem in the NHL and improve performance. Mm those um those
0: assessments really come in handy and to be able to like you said track those measurables and then go well hey this is where we were last time this is what worked this is what didn't okay let's keep some of that in and then as you said perhaps then okay we need to do a little bit more or perhaps we need to change it whatever the, the methodology might be but as you say it's you learn by doing and even if something that you do is not quite right then at least you can go well hey you know what that didn't work we tried it we can we can keep that on record and okay, this worked, and then progress from there. And I, I think, again, it comes back to these basic fundamentals. They're not overcomplicated. Um, they can be it, when you look at the specifics of maybe, you know, for example, how you actually get that data and, you know, you've got to navigate around rules and govern, governing bodies sometimes, but yeah. it's the whole like, hey guys, like, <laughs> let's see what works. Let's track it because we we don't remember. And let's put that really basic for the listener is this is the reason why we track our rep sets and workouts because it doesn't matter how good you think you are. and We've all been there. You're not going to remember what you lifted last week, or perhaps you're not going to remember how it felt, the RPE, the RAR, or whatever it is, depending on the advancement of your training. And just having those little notes, even if it's just a, you know, the old pen and paper notebook, you you, you seldom see that, but it's better than just going in and winging it, especially yeah. when you get to a certain level. And you know, obviously, dealing with professional athletes. And I know that um, I, for a lot of my Canadian friends, you know, hockey is huge. It's massive. Like it's, yeah, um, you know, million-dollar sport. Um, you know, people want the best of the best. So if you can go in there and show them value, and hey, guys, this is how you can get an edge. Then what? You know, they're going to want that. So well, yeah. thank you for sharing, Jason. Some some great takeaways there, and thank you for you know sort of tying it back in with with the, what you do in Transports.
1: Sports. Yeah, for sure.
0: So um before before we go I have a couple of um first of all rapid fire questions that were just a little bit more lighthearted a bit fun a bit playful sort of um you know to tell us a little bit more about you and then we'll finish off with a more serious question which I ask all my guests. So the the first question uh, that I would ask is uh, if you could have a superpower what would it be and why?
1: I would say I would want the ability to uh retain every bit of information i was exposed to Um, i just think that comes in handy in so many different situations uh and i aspire to be that way right now so uh that would be my answer there
0: this is very relevant jason and i can see that you're you're a data man you're yeah i like it Good, man. All right. Uh, my second question is, what is your favorite food? Um, for example, it might be, you've got one last meal. What would it look like? Drink, appetizer, dinner, dessert. What, what's Jason's favorite food?
1: I, I'd have to go with uh, a nicely cooked uh, steak, baked potato, and uh, some veggies for that one.
0: So nice. Nice. And I do, do some good steaks over there in Canada?
1: yeah yeah alberta beef is uh pretty world-renowned so we have some good options here
0: all right i'll look forward to uh coming over i know a lot of my canadian friends always mither at me like hey yeah, when, when coming out, you' and you're over. Always yeah for sure man we'll have to love to go and get some steak um and talk some more data it'll be good um sure. uh, my last question is uh, a little bit more thought provoking um, because again, I, I ask this question because, you know, generally people who I talk to, they have a very sort of um, sports science and a logical mindset. So I like to throw this one out there as well. Um, do you believe that when we die, that is it? Or do you think that there is something else? Do you think that the the brain or the, what goes on in here goes somewhere else? Or do you think it's all just game over?
1: Uh, Meaning, are you asking if I believe there's like a heaven?
0: If that's how you want to interpret it, do you think there's something more after that?
1: I think that if someone uh, does very significant work in their life and they communicate well and honestly and sincerely and they care for other people and they help other people, I believe that the legacy of people will live on. Uh, I think I could almost make an objective argument that for example like uh newton even though he's long gone his laws of motion still exists right like his work lives on and it's very relevant in the world hundreds of years later um and i there's tons of examples all throughout history of that mm. so i think it's about the legacy you uh but no i am not a religious man so i do not believe that go somewhere else after we die
0: mm. no for sure um, i think it's important like you said leave, leaving something positive behind and perhaps leaving something which continues to serve mankind long after you're gone is is an important yeah. um you know principle i think we should all strive for it for no matter how little or how grand it is you know we're not all going to be isaac newtons but we can if we can leave the place a little bit better than we found it i think that's something we yeah. should all sort of uh achieve. Absolutely. Um, My last question, Jason, a little bit more serious, um, is Can you identify a a fear or major obstacle um, that you had to overcome in your career? It could be related to topics that we've talked about. It could be something completely different, but perhaps identify a fear, how you overcome it, and what you learn from overcoming this situation, this fear, this uh, uh,
1: fear that's on the horizon is artificial intelligence uh, basically taking my job. Um, I feel like that fear is healthy uh, and it motivates us to find better solutions but our programming process uh, can be narrowed down into uh, the framework of an AI algorithm and our video analysis process and the quantitative measures that uh you can produce in an analysis with biomechanics can also be narrowed down into that and there's already so much great technology out there that i feel like it's only a matter of time Uh, if uh ai can beat the champion in in the ancient chinese game go uh in the way that it did um with alpha go i think that it's you know training programming and video analysis is a much simpler problem uh, with less variables than uh, the game of Go had. Uh, so that's my that's my greatest fear, really the fear of automation, uh, moving into the future. Uh, because if, if we don't continue to adapt with the times, um, we will be replaced by uh, automation, which is not a good thing for uh, our employment and our livelihood. So
0: yeah sure no that's that's interesting that you make Then, so for you it's more of not a past fear it's more of a future fear um and which is very relevant as well i know ai is a really popular upcoming topic and a lot of industries are going to be threatened by that there will be a lot of people that are out of work but then yeah, yeah. there is obviously arguments as well which say well if we're out of work perhaps there'll be other jobs that created um to a degree and other avenues but it is an interesting concept it'll be um exciting and a little bit scary to see how we evolve, but I'm sure we will. We always do. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's a different one, Jason. Thank you for sharing. Um, Before you go, for people who want to find out more about yourself, The Strength Guys, what you do, your coaching, um, if they would like to apply, where are the best places uh, to find yourself and resources?
1: So you can follow The Strength Guys uh, at The Strength Guys on Instagram. And uh, if you'd like to uh, find out more about our group. www.thestrengthguys.com is our website. Uh, you could also apply for coaching services there. Uh, and if you'd like to contact me directly or follow me on Instagram, uh, you can send me a message at uh, Jason TSG uh, on Instagram.
0: Fantastic. And I'll make sure that I put all those links, as always, in the description below for everyone to uh, follow along as well. And I highly recommend it. Guys, if you have a, an interest in strength or you want to look at, again, some of the things that we've talked about in this episode and perhaps follow some people who are at the top end of the field, I must say, and, and really practicing, you know, um, authentic science and backing it up with, you know, some amazing athletes, then definitely head over and uh, follow along, read up, etc. Jason, thank you for your time. I really appreciate um, you doing this, uh, considering all the time difference and sharing some of your knowledge and your experiences today.
1: Thank you.
0: Awesome, guys. So thank you for tuning in. And as always, guys, make sure you tune in next week for another episode. And in the meantime, as always,
1: stay fearless.